you know, just as we've sung that song, it is well with my soul, I just feel like declaring that over everybody in this place, that if you have trusted Jesus as your saviour, if you have asked him to come in and forgive you your sin, and asked him to come in and live by his Holy Spirit in your life, you can clearly say it's well with your soul. And your soul is a part of you that will last forever. It's the part of you that will be in heaven. It's the part of you that will rule with Christ on the earth. But here and now, it's your mind and your will and your emotions. And isn't it amazing that we can say, it's well with my soul. So that's what I believe God wants us to even declare at the very beginning of this talk today. And as you'll see from your notes, uh, the title of today's talk is called, Never Doubt God's How and When. I'm kind of skimming over a few things that we've touched on over the last couple of weeks because there was a few things we missed over the last couple of weeks, but I really want to, um, to, to bring them, just touch on them and then come to the main core of what we're going to say today. Because uh, I've given you a verse there in your Bible, Psalm 31 verse 15, and it says, My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. And I really felt today we need to remind ourselves that our, the timing, God's timing, the things that happen in our lives, God's timing is in his hands. And, and not to be stressing or striving about the when. And the how, so often we think, how is he going to do this and how is he going to do that? I believe God wants us to stop stressing. If, he, if it's in his word, then he's going to do it. And I love, uh, I love Isaiah 55 where it says his word will not return unto him void or empty. empty not, his word will not come back empty handed. So we're going to keep those verses in the background today. But just want to remind you that God's timing is always perfect. And we've touched over the last couple of weeks how the angel Gabriel came to both Elizabeth or came to Zechariah about Elizabeth's pregnancy and then came to Mary about hers. And I really want just to say, just to touch on this at the beginning of today's talk, that, that Gabriel was carrying good news from heaven in relation to these two different parties. And, and we need to remember that God has a timetable. And he had a timetable for the arrival of John the Baptist and also for the arrival of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we need to know that God has a timetable. And just as he has a timetable for them to, those two babies to arrive on this earth, he has a timetable for what he wants to do in your life as well. And as we move from, from Elizabeth and Mary to the announcement of the um, of the of the these babies that were going to come forth, and we think of a of Zachariah and his unbelief, and we looked at that over the last few weeks. It was still going to happen, even though Zachariah, you know, couldn't. Well, actually, he just didn't believe. That's what the angel said. And then, whenever the angel came to Mary, you see, Mary Mary believed, but she said, "Well, how can it happen?" How, how, you know, Mary totally believed, but she was still asking, well, how's this going to happen, Lord? And that was okay because she couldn't comprehend how, how she, being a woman, could become pregnant. And I've written in your notes here that the truth was that Mary didn't need a man for God to accomplish his plan of redemption. And, you know, sometimes, ladies, I don't know anything, about, I know some, something about some of you, but not everything about all of you. I don't know your situations and I don't know the people that are in your life and the help that you have. 
But even if you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, I don't have anybody to help me, I want you to know that God's promise will still come to pass. Mary's saying, how, you know, I'm, I, I'm not married to any man, so how can I become pregnant? And you see, so often we ask that question, well, how can that happen? I don't have anybody to help me. Remember, the, uh, I love the story about the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, where, do you remember Jesus came and there was a man who'd been lame there for 38 years, and he said, every time I go to try and get into the pool, whenever the angel comes and stirs the water, and somebody gets down in front of me because I don't have anyone, I don't have any man or anyone to help me into the pool. But you see, he didn't need anybody because Jesus just healed him there and then. And you know, ladies, if you haven't got a man in your life, well, God can do what he has to do without a man. Would you believe that? Yeah. Now, men are good. And it's, if you have a good man, praise the Lord, because that's a gift from God. But, you know, if you're like myself and you don't have a husband, that doesn't mean that God's not going to work out his plans for you. Mary wasn't married, and yet God was going to work in her life. And I read this from uh, Corson's application commentary it says it is not a man who will bring fruitfulness to our lives it's the holy spirit and i wrote in your notes mary just believed god and she headed on up there to the hill country to see elizabeth who was already six months pregnant and what really occurred to me i know last week we talked about how when these two women got together how the sparks began to fly how you know iron sharpens iron and they were both heavily pregnant well they weren't actually elizabeth was six months pregnant and we believe that that mary had just conceived but when these two got together things began to happen and what i loved about this was that mary mary was going up to elizabeth because elizabeth was already six months pregnant she was six months ahead of her and you know what it's good sometimes to hang around with people who know god more than you do who are further along the way than you than you are in your spiritual pregnancy and that's what god loves for women to get together we had a prayer meeting in there this morning and something happened i was really feeling under a lot of pressure this morning before coming out feeling a bit sick with nerves and just feeling not up for this and a few of the ladies got in there and honestly something broke because when women get together and start to pray and start to agree things happen and people are released into their destiny and words were given this morning Words were given that will encourage us into our destiny, and that's what God wants. So Mary asked how God would fulfill his word, and you see, we need to remember, it's not the how, it's, and it's not, even, it's not even the when. It's none of our business. He'll do it, and he'll do it in his own way, and he'll do it in his own time. And then we come to the bit about Elizabeth, and um, I've just put down in your notes here, there was a time for Elizabeth to give birth. And remember how Zacharias had become deaf and dumb during her pregnancy because he didn't believe the angel. He wasn't able to speak and we were told that they had to sign to him about the name of this child because when it came to the circumcision, Elizabeth said, well, his name's going to be John. And all the people thought, well, you've no John in your family. And in those days, the thing was for the child, especially a firstborn, to take on the father's name. And so they went to Zacharias and it says they had to sign to him and he wrote... He could, still couldn't speak, and he wrote down his name is John. And it says the people were, they were all amazed, and, and they began to say, what kind of a child is this? And what I loved about this, let me just read it to you, just a couple of verses. In, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 68, it's after, John's, after Zechariah said his name is John, it says they all marveled and immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. 
Then fear came on all who dwelt around, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept saying in their hearts, what kind of a child will this be? And then it goes on where Zechariah began to, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to prophesy, and he began to speak blessings over this child that had just been born, over his son, John. He began to speak. And you know what really struck me this week? When we come into agreement with what God says, when we open our mouths and we speak it out, this was the first time that Zechariah had opened his mouth since the angel told him, you're going to have a son and you're, you're to call him John and he's going to prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. And Zechariah didn't believe and he was shut, his mouth was shut. And the first time that he opens his mouth and comes into agreement with what God said, what happens? He begins to, his, his tongue was loosed, he began to praise, prophesy, and then actually pronounce a blessing over the child. And I wanted to really challenge you ladies, once you start speaking out God's word and God's promises and declaring it, something happens when you come into agreement with heaven. Stop repeating the lies that the enemy speaks into your ear. Stop speaking out, I can't do this. Stop speaking out those negative things that you hear in your ear. And as soon as you start to speak out in, in agreement with what heaven says, with what God says, your tongue will be loosed. And you will find yourself praising and prophesying and, and, and worshipping God and, and actually pronouncing blessings on the people of God. You will find that there's a change. Something happens whenever you begin to agree with heaven. And then uh, that's just a kind of a backdrop from the last couple of weeks of things I've sort of failed to say. But I really want to take it from here now, from Luke chapter 2. And let's just look at Luke chapter 2. And it says in verse 1, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, world should be taxed. And I just want to stop there for a moment. It came to pass. I love those words. Because, you know, you need to remind yourself that if you're going through a hard time right now, you need to remember that this too will pass. You need to remember that God has a timing, that God knows what he's doing. Galatians 4 and 4 says that, that when, the, when the fullness of the time had come, that, that God sent forth his son. There was a timing for Jesus to come. There's a timing for things to happen in your life. If you're going through a hard time, it will pass and God's purposes will fall into place according to his timescale. So don't get stuck in the, in the hard things that are happening right now that might be happening in your life right now because it will pass. And it says here that when it, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now I looked up a wee bit about this guy, Caesar Augustus. His actual name was Gaius Octavus. And he was, he was the first Roman emperor. And apparently he had risen, uh, sorry, I keep hitting that thing, sorry about that. Uh, he was the first, Caesar Augustus was the, uh, sorry, Gaius Octavus was the first Roman emperor. And he'd become very, very powerful because he had gone on many, many terrible wars. And he had brought peace, but it had been at the cost of some terrible, bloody wars. And he decided that it would be a good thing to change his image and to do that by changing his name. So he changed his name from Gaius Octavus to Caesar Augustus. You see, the word August has the idea of divinity. And he wanted people to look at him as the August one. 
He wanted people to look at him as the divine one. And it was him who actually sent out this word that all the world should be taxed and that they would have to go back to their birthplace. But Caesar Augustus didn't realise that he was falling into line with God's plans to get his people, to get Mary and Joseph into the very place that God wanted them to fulfil biblical prophecy. Because God knows how to fulfil his word. And you see, Micah chapter 5 in the Old Testament, the book of Micah, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. God had to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem in the exact time for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem in order to fulfill the biblical prophecy. And I love the way God moves in history and gets people into position and gets them into shape. And that's exactly what he was doing here. And I wrote in your notes, the son of David was going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And I love that because, you see, long ago, way back in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised to David that through David's seed, that through David's family would come the Messiah. Let me read this to you. The word of the Lord had come to David and it said, David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I, the Lord, will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish, his, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, God had long ago foretold told David that through his family, that would come the Messiah. And here all these hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand years later, here's God keeping his word and getting Mary and Joseph to the right place, to Bethlehem. That was the city of David. It was around Bethlehem that David looked after the sheep. That's where he came from. So the son of David was going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and the bread of life was going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Jesus was coming to be the bread of life and he was going to be born in the house in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Don't you just love the meticulousness and the, the, the detail of what God says? Never underestimate a, a, a word that God gives to you. Don't underestimate it. If he's given you a word, he will keep his word. We were talking this morning in the prayer room about, the, about how necessary it was for us to believe God. In order to see him moving, we've got to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. And we've got to believe him and put our trust in him. And then if we look down to, further on down in, um, in Luke chapter 2, it says, all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And they, they went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought for, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And then it goes on to say, Now there were, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. 
Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was while the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass. Ladies, listen. If Elizabeth was in position and John the Baptist came at the exact time that God wanted him to be born to prepare the way for the Lord, and if Mary got the word at the exact time that she was going to become pregnant, and if, if she and Joseph were at the exact time that God brought them right up to Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus in, the, in Bethlehem where it had been prophesied that he would be born, then so we, we need to see and recognise the angels were in position for what God wanted them to see. They were in position to see the heavenly host. God can get you into position for whatever he wants to do in your life. And you see, these angels were actually, they were the ones who traditionally would have looked after the sheep that were brought up to Jerusalem to the temple for sacrifice. So these shepherds were out in the fields like all times of the year looking after these sheep and these sheep would be brought up for sacrifice to the temple. I think it's beautiful that the angels came to the shepherds to make the announcement to them first because you know what? They were going to be redundant very soon because the final sacrifice for sin was, was already born and had already been born. And the angels came to announce to them first that the, the one who was the final sacrifice for sin, that he had already been born. And he tells them, he said, you will find him uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And you know, I read this somewhere this week and it really touched me that swaddling clothes were actually bits of rags that they used to embalm people. Whenever people were dead, they wrapped them in these, they used rags to embalm them with spices that would, that would um, do what the Egyptians did, embalming. And I read this, I'm going to read it to you. Death interrupted the ministry and teaching of Socrates, Plato, or Plato, Buddha, and every philosopher and thinker throughout history. But it did not interrupt the ministry of Jesus. Rather, death fulfilled Jesus' ministry because Jesus alone came to die. No wonder they wrapped him in swaddling clothes, in swaddling in bands. Rags that would have been used for embalming. Speaking of death, he came to die. He came to be the final <coughs> sacrifice for sin. You know, ladies, I just feel that sometimes we read this and we think of this, we kind of rattle it off over Christmas. And it becomes something that we, we expect the children to say on Christmas Day. But do you know something? This is the greatest message that was ever given to humanity. That God sent his son. And he sent him with one purpose. To die for your sins and for mine. And, and not just to get us to heaven. And not just, it's wonderful, praise God, that our sins are forgiven. But you know, in his death, he died to save you from your sins and to bring you to heaven. But he died to give you life and life abundant to give you a quality of life on this planet 
Jesus came to die that you might live in a new kind of life, that you might experience a different kind of life. And so I just think these words are amazing. And then the next thing we know down in, in, um, in chapter 2, verse 21, then it's after eight days after his birth, uh, then they're bringing baby Jesus to be circumcised, to call his name Jesus. They were fulfilling the law. They were bringing him up to be circumcised and to be named Jesus. And then 40 days later, and this is the bit I really want to get to today, 40 days later, we get to the, um, uh, let's just read it, verse 22. Now, when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So get the picture. After 40 days after the baby's been born, it's time for Mary's purification. This was the Old Testament law. They bring the baby up for a dedication. They bring him up to the temple, and they come with an offering. And a, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons was the poor person's offering. Other people who were wealthy would have brought an animal, a lamb or something. But here comes Mary and Joseph, the parents that God has ordained to look after baby Jesus, to be his mother and father. And here they are, they're coming with the poor man's offering. And it says in verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, I want to I really spend a wee bit of time looking at this man. Because, you see, apparently, and traditionally, they believe that Simeon could actually have been as old as, what was it, 113 years old. Now, could you imagine this old man? And I imagine him hobbling around the temple and hobbling around Jerusalem. And it tells us that he was, let me just read it to you, that he, this man, was just and devote, and devote, sorry, and devout. <laughs> I read that. He was just and devout. In other words, he was a man, I believe, who was devoted to God. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's the Messiah, the Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. And Simeon took up Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, he's saying, this, uh, you've got to get this an old man. He's maybe 113 years. That's what tradition says. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that he was, he was in the spirit. He was spirit-led. And at exactly the same moment, I want you to get this, at exactly the same moment as Mary and Joseph come with this baby to be dedicated, in walks Simeon. Why? Because he's spirit-led. Because the Holy Spirit is in him and over him and leading him. And it says that the Holy Spirit led him at that exact moment. And he began to pronounce who this child was, and he, he actually lifted up the child in his arms. 
Can you imagine? God had shown him years before that he wasn't going to die until he saw the baby, the Messiah. And here is the Holy Spirit guiding him at the right moment to come in to the temple at exactly the moment that the baby's there. He could have been out having his dinner, or he could have been up visiting some friends. He could have been anywhere. He could have been in a different part of the temple. He walks right into the very spot, and he sees this baby, and it's revealed to him that this is the Messiah, this is the Christ that they've all been waiting for. And it says that he began to lift up this child and prophesy over him. Did you notice what it says? It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. You know, in, in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah 40 begins a whole, it's, it's sort of like it divides the book of Isaiah. And it's after a lot of historical things that happened, but in Isaiah 40 is actually prophetic words about the comfort or the consolation that God was going to send through Messiah. Let me just read it to you, if I can quickly just put my hand on it here. Isaiah 40, here is what it says. It says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand, double for her sins, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Do you know that this old man, it, God had shown him that he was going to come and he was going to, someone would come to prepare the way and that this child was going to bring comfort to Israel. And I'm telling you ladies, and may God give me help to speak to you now, but I believe God wants to give you comfort today. I believe God wants you to know that, that Jesus Christ was sent to, to save you from your sins, but to also give you comfort. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter? And I just really believe today that we need to just know afresh that God sent his son to die at exactly the right moment in history to save us from our sin. Because do you know what, ha- what happened? Do you know why God hates sin so much? Because sin causes pain. And all of us here, because we're living in a sinful world, all of us at this particular time in history, we're all experiencing a degree of pain because we are surrounded by sin. Because the world is not fully rede- hasn't been fully redeemed yet. The world is still following after, after the evil one, after Satan himself. And that's why there's so much pain in this world. And that's why people are hurting. But God sent his son not only to forgive you for your sins, which is wonderful, and it's the start of a journey of you beginning to walk back out of that pain and walk into a whole new way of life. It's the beginning of a life of comfort, where even though bad things happen, where you can know a supernatural comfort from the comforter. It's a whole new way of life. And God wants you to understand that that's why he sent his son, for you, to save you from your sins, but also to bring you comfort, to give you strength, to get you lifted up on your feet again, to rescue you. You need to know that God sent his son to rescue you. You know, in the prayer room this morning, I was, had, uh, Patsy was on my right, and Patsy started to read a few verses, and I'm going to read them to you. But I just think this is, 
just amazing how God did this this morning. Let me just, um, if I can just find this quickly on my phone. I have it ready here. She read, Patsy read from Psalm 34. And here's what she said. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now, I want to tell you this. As Patsy was reading those words, Susan was whispering in my ear, I don't know who the woman is, but there was somebody who was absolutely broken who needed prayer at that particular moment. And you know what I couldn't get over? That at that moment, that in my left ear, I'm hearing there's a woman, and if she's here, you need to know this is for you. As, as in my left ear, Susan's speaking into my ear to say, somebody's very broken, just pray for them. They're just outside here. Left ear is hearing that. At the same time, Patsy is speaking out the words, I believe they were prophetic words, that the Lord rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now, I don't know who that person is, if they're still in this room or not, but you need to know, that's for you. And I'll tell you, if you feel crushed this morning, that's for you. Because God's the one who rescues those who feel crushed. And you know, even though you're saved and you know the Lord as your saviour, sometimes the oppressor, the enemy, the Satan himself would come against you to try to crush you. But praise God, we have the comforter. We have the one who rescues us. We have the one who continually lifts us up and sets us up on our feet again. And that's why Jesus came to die. And this old man, Simeon, he had been waiting for this comfort, or if you like, this consolation that he knew God had promised he was going to send. And you know what? He's already come. The Holy Spirit has been sent. If you've trusted Jesus as your saviour, he has been, the Holy Spirit has entered and you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. You actually have the comforter inside you. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. And so this man was at a point in history where Messiah had not yet arrived, but he was looking forward in faith. Here we are and he has come, he's fulfilled his word and we look back and we say, yes God, you kept your word, you sent your son, you sent the Messiah, the comforter and we have him and we now can live knowing his comfort every day. I think that is pretty awesome. And this is what this old man had been revealed to him and it said he wouldn't see death. I just loved it that God kept him alive. He was possibly 113 years old. Do you know what, if God's given you a promise he could he'd keep you alive until it comes, even if it means being 113 years old. Bring it on, Lord. <laughs> I love that about God. He will keep his word. Now, the thing was that I would guess that Simeon, this old man who believed God, I, I would actually think he was probably looking for somebody to ride in the big white horse. He probably had a different mindset to what... I'm sure, I don't think he was actually thinking it was going to be a baby he would lift up and recognise the baby. He said, you know what? So often we expect God to do things in a special way. We have our mindset. We think this is how he's going to do it. And we're looking for it to be our way. It wasn't. Simeon, when he saw this child, God revealed to him right away. And he lifted, little did he know he would have the privilege of lifting up God's salvation in his arms. Imagine holding the Son of God in flesh in his hands. And so it says he came by the Spirit into the temple. Do you know what? I want to be, I want to be a woman who lives by the Spirit. Do you not? That the Spirit would prompt me to be in the right place at the right time. I love that about God. When you have the Holy Spirit, he doesn't only comfort you, but he guides you. You know, the Bible talks about you, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk this way. And you know, 
if we really trust in God and we're believing him and we're putting all our faith in him and we're looking for him to work in our lives, he will lead us to, for divine appointments, he, he will lead us to be in the exact right place at the right time. And you don't have to worry about how he's going to do it or when he's going to do it. He's going to do it and he'll keep his word. And so we see that this, uh, this old man, this Simeon, it says he came by the spirit and when, whenever they, the parents brought the child to him, he took him up in his arms and he blessed him. And then he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, he said, Lord, now you fulfill your promise. I can, go, I can go safely home now. I can safely go to be with you now, God. Do you know what? Wouldn't it be amazing that we would live until we'd seen those things that God had promised to us? So we had reached a point in our lives when we said, right, God, we know our times. We're ready. Any time now, Lord, if we're ready, you've shown me. And you know, I believe he'll keep us fruitful to the very end if we want to be fruitful women. And so it says, then he began to speak. What did he say? Lord, now, now you're letting your servant depart in, in peace according to your word. We need to know that God's word is sure. We need to know that God's word it will come to pass. And then he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so he's prophesying, and he's prophesying that Jesus is the Messiah, and that he's going to be bring comfort to Israel. But he's also saying that he will be a stone, a stone, and a, 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 that is Christ is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. I wanted to read to you a couple of prophecies that were given in the Old Testament and it says here referring to Jesus in, in Isaiah 28 16 behold I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation a tried stone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation whoever believes will not act hastily actually the New Living Translation says whoever believes need never be shaken see he realized that this this uh, child, Jesus, was going to be for the fall of some, but for the setting up of others. In other words, some would, would stumble over him, but some would rise up because of him. Isn't that what happens in the world? People fall because they don't believe, they don't believe in Christ, they don't believe he's there, that he's there to save them. They disregard God completely, and they stumble over the truth. And yet, for those of us who believe, he is a cornerstone. He is a sure foundation. We can surely build our lives on him. Psalm 118 says, The stone which the builders rejected, or if you like, have fallen over or have rejected, have become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, this particular day that Simeon saw this child, he could have, he could have repeated that prophecy from Psalm 118. He'd waited all these years, and here he's, he could have repeated that word for word. We don't know, maybe he did, it's not recorded in scripture. But he said, this is the Lord's doing, it's marvelous in our eyes. And, uh, and, the, and, and this is the day that the Lord has made. And we need to know that God is for us, that God loves us, and that his timing is perfect. And I think it's really important that we understand who we are and who Christ is, that he is the, the rock that we can stand on. 
He said, we're not stumbling over him. We are standing on this rock. Jesus Christ is the solid rock. And First Peter, I've written in your book, second, in your notes, Second Peter. It's actually First Peter. Uh, if you look it up whenever you have time. First Peter chapter 2, here's what it says. Behold, I lay in Zion. This is uh, the, the scripture that was fulfilled. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he, that's Jesus, is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become, the, the builders have rejected, he has become the chief cornerstone. For some, he's a stone of stumbling, verse 8, and a rock of offence. People take offence at the name of Jesus. They stumble over the good news. They don't receive him. They stumble, it says, verse 8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, his own special people. You need to know if you've trusted Jesus that you are his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You know, I have no doubt that God has plans for every woman in this place. He wants you to be one who will proclaim his glory. He wants you to be one who will speak out for him, to be a mouthpiece to be someone who will speak for him. He wants us to open our mouths and to be witnesses for him. I'm going to read you something that was sent to me. Um, bear with me just for this phone while I get it. It was sent to me, I uh, got it early this morning, about someone who hasn't become a Christian very long and she has been really challenged about speaking for God. Hang on a second, I'm just going to get it right now. Here we are. And, um, and here's what she sent me this morning. <coughs> <clears throat> she wants to be a mouthpiece for God. She wants to speak out for God, that her mouth will be used for God. She said, without, she said, without a breath, I would not survive. And without you, my Father, this is God, I would surely die. My body may still be functioning, but my mind would be elsewhere, and my soul would be chasing the things of this world. Although present, I would appear... Sorry, although present, I would, I would appear to the world, uh, although present, oh, sorry, although I, present, I would appear to the world, I know my soul and my spirit would be in constant turmoil. You see, I've been there before, as you well know, to the world. To the world I looked normal, but no one knew I was locked in my own personal hell. If I was to sum it up, Lord, I would simply say that a life without your presence would be no life at all. For you're the reason for my existence, and without the intimacy we share, Lord, this servant would be better off dead. For you're my hope, more important than my life. You're my light in the darkest of days. You're my anchor when I feel my soul sink. You're my rainbow in the midst of life's storms. Lord, you're my everything, and I stand amazed in your love, in awe and humble admiration of the time, the love, and the mercy that you bestow on a sinner like me. Thank you, Abba God, for the heavy price you paid that day on Calvary. I got permission to say who wrote that. Wee Kelly that comes here. You see, do you know what? God wants us. She's not doesn't know the Lord that long. God wants us to become a mouthpiece for him. He wants to speak through us. And he wants, look, you know what? You can't speak for him unless you know the comfort and consolation that he gives. 
And it's only when you experience that comfort and consolation that comes when you know your sins are forgiven. Because do you know what? Sin is a weight on you. You mightn't realise it, but sin is a weight on you that causes you pain. Even, I think, sometimes, even without doubt in your body, even physical pain. And God wants to let you know that through his son coming to this earth as this little baby and being coming as a sacrifice, the final sacrifice for sin, coming to die for your sins, that he wants to not only forgive you for your sins, but he wants to lift that weight off you. And he wants you to know what it's like for that weight to roll off your shoulders and to know that you're free to live the life that God always intended for you to live. And that's a life of peace and joy. And yes, it's a life that will overcome because there'll still be problems. Like being a Christian doesn't mean now everything's going to be easy because there'll still be problems and there'll still be things you'll have to fight against. But you know what? When we get together and we begin to pray with each other and encourage each other, that's what we're meant to do. The body, we're meant to encourage each other. And I want you to know there's a prayer meeting goes on here every Tuesday morning before we come here. It's for, it starts at 10 o'clock until a quarter to 11. And everybody's welcome. It's not just anybody. But I want you to know that in there, there's an encouragement that goes on between the women. There's something that happens whenever women get together and they begin to encourage and speak into each other's lives. And we can encourage each other. And when one's down, the other's up. And that's what the Bible says. We're meant to be there for each other. But you know what? This journey of walking with Christ is amazing. Whenever we were in Israel this year, we had Kingsley Armstrong with us and he was making fun of all of us because he says, all you people from Emmanuel and Lurgan and all, all you say is this is amazing and that's amazing and everything's amazing. And actually we realised we all began to hear each other when we were saying it every minute. Everything's, you're, you're amazing, that's amazing, everything's amazing. But you know what, it is amazing. It's amazing grace that God would send us some. And that God wants you to have a different quality of life. And if you're broken this morning, he died to heal you, to bind you up. That was actually his mandate. Isaiah 61 gives us his mandate, why he came. He came to bind the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. If that's you this morning, that's why he came. That's why God sent his son, to bring you forgiveness and healing, to give you a, a purpose in your life to live for. What's the purpose? Well, just to let him flow through you. Just to let him to speak through you, to be, to, your, that your hands could do his work, that your mouth would speak his words. And so we see this man arrived at the exact moment. A couple of things I really wanted to say. You know, he, he gave that word to Mary. He said, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You know, Mary, there was no doubt there was tremendous joy for her. Remember, she, like we looked last, last week at how she sung that song. She sung that song of worship whenever she and Elizabeth got together and, and, and she sung worship that God had chosen her to be the instrument to bear, her, bear the Son of God and to bring forth the Messiah. Mary knew tremendous heights of joy, but she also knew tremendous depths of pain. The Bible describes it as her heart being pierced. You know, the times that Jesus uh, would have said, you know, uh, to the disciples, you know, when they, when they spoke about Mary and Joseph are waiting outside, and he said, well, I must be about my father's business. I'm sure she felt that. But, you know, whenever she stood by the cross and she saw him suffering, the pain that she must have felt in her heart. And, you know, Jesus, it says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. So we know that he was a man who suffered greatly. But it also says about Jesus that he was anointed with the oil of exuberant gladness. 
In other words, he was a man of sorrows that touched the deepest sorrow that anyone ever experienced in this world because he took on all of the pains and the sorrows of humanity. But he was also the happiest and most joyful, joyous person who ever lived. And you know what I've discovered? We, whenever we were in Israel this year, we were sailing down, I think it was down to the Dead Sea or something, the bus one day, and we got this conversation going and somebody was saying about how, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's possible to be really at times full of sorrow, but yet to be joyful. And we're just talking about how it seems to be that the people that know God the most are the people who have known the sorrow. Have you ever noticed that? That people that have experienced sorrow are usually, and have come through it, and allowed God to use them and bind up their sorrow, they end up being the happiest people. Isn't that, isn't that true? You see anybody who's come through deep, deep sorrow, but allowed the Lord to come and console them, and, and, and heal them, and tend them, and, and have taken God at his word, and they've walked through stuff. Do you know what? They become the happiest of people. They can't keep the joy in, because uh, that's the way it seems to work. And so Simeon was able to prophesy and fulfill the word of the Lord. Our time's almost up, but I just want one more person to speak about before we finish Who's the next lady to Sally in on the right moment? Anna. Let's look at her, verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, I want you to get that, do you see how many times things happen just at that right moment, that instant that Mary and Joseph are there, she comes in at the exact right moment and it says she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to him to all those who looked for redemption and Israel. In my Bible it says Anna the prophetess came from the tribe of Asher, Asher, the tribe that was to be, Asher means blessing, uh, the tribe that was to be blessed. It says here in my notes, Asher's descendants were to have shoes of iron and bronze, denoting strength. Anna exemplified these qualities of anointing and steadfastness. After being married only seven years, her husband died, and this widow chose a life of fasting and prayer in the temple. She did not depart from the temple, but served God, walking in moral purity and dedicated service. Her prophetic anointing was untainted by the spirit of age. The name Anna means favour or grace and originates from the Hebrew. Anna did find favour in God's eyes and he revealed the Messiah, the hope of Israel, to her aged eyes. Listen girls, I don't think there's too many of us here that are 113 and I don't think there's maybe not that many of us that are actually well on their 80s. I don't know if Ethel's here this morning but bless her if she is. But do you know what? God uses the aged. Isn't that lovely? Right to the end, here's this old woman, and she's probably dottering around the temple. But you know what? God brings her in right at the very moment into her destiny. Imagine the privilege of being able to see the Christ with her own eyes and to prophesy over that child. I wanted to finish this morning just by saying that God is for you. I just feel you need to know that more and more. You need to know that he is for you, that he loves you. And the how and the when, you know, how God's going to do things in your life and when he's going to do them, 
They're really not your business. Any of these people that we talked about this morning, they didn't know how God was going to do these things, and they didn't know when God was going to do these things. But you know what? They decided to believe God. And that's the challenge that I'm throwing out to you today. You mightn't know how things are going to happen. Maybe there's things God's promised you 20, 30 years ago and they've never happened. Maybe you don't know the how they're going to happen. And maybe you're still saying, well, when? But I'll tell you something. God will keep his word. God's in the how and he's in the when. And he needs you to know that he loves you. And I wanted to read this to you from Isaiah 55. Talking about the word of God, it's first of all, Isaiah 55 is saying, my thoughts, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. And that's what I want to get across to you today. You might be thinking, God's going to do things maybe in my life, and maybe he'll fulfill it, and you have a sort of a mindset. Don't get a mindset. God will be doing it in a totally different way than you ever imagined. And in that same chapter where God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, God says, my word so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. In other words, in the, new, in the message it says, words don't come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They will complete the assignment that I gave them. Isaiah 55 says, They'll not return unto me void, but they shall accomplish what I please and they shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. I just really feel it's so important that you realise that he loves you. Do you love him? That's the question I'm asking you this morning. Do you love God? Because I wrote in the very end of this, I felt prompted to write this, are you saved and walking in fellowship with God even though difficult things may have happened? Are you trusting God for your life and have you a desire to serve him and to be a fruitful Christian? If so, know this for sure. God is working out his plan and his time frame is perfect. You do not have to have a concern with the how and the when. Just trust God and obey him. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, not to harm you but to give you a hope and a future. Proverbs 3, 5-6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. He keeps his word. You need to believe that. But you know what? You need to believe that he loves you. I think we need to finish off with this. I'm challenging you. Do you really believe that God loves you? In 1 Peter 2, the message, I wrote this out this morning and I'm going to leave you with this. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to leave you with this. Let me say something else. Anyway, I want to read this to you. It's talking about loving God even though we haven't seen him. You never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking for. Total salvation. You know, we bring you good news today. We bring you good news. The angels came with good news. The shepherds were in place to get it. Elizabeth was in place to bring forth John the Baptist to prepare the way. Mary was in place to bring forth the Christ, the Messiah. In walked Simeon. The shepherds were there. They were ready. They went to see the child. They were in place. Simeon was in place. Anna was in place. And I believe you're in place this morning. I believe you're here today because God wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants you more than anything. He wants you to love him back. 
And you know, if you really love him, you'll really trust him. And you know, if you trust him, you'll put your life into his hands. And you will trust him for the way ahead. And you will say, here I am, Lord. Take it all. Take me and do whatever you want to do with me. That is the best prayer that you can pray. You know, it isn't always easy. Sometimes we feel under attack. We feel the enemy coming against us. But you know what? There's nothing like coming through. If you get a wee bit of an attack and you, and you come through and other people help you, do you know what? You just feel like you could just jump to the moon. And I want to say that, you know, over the last day or two, I have been under such attack, actually feeling physically sick that I actually couldn't come in here this morning, feeling so intimidated by the enemy. And, you know, that prayer room this morning, something released in me that this morning in that place, something released to go out and do it, even though I was afraid to come up here this morning. I'm telling you the truth. It's not easy to come up here. I'm telling you something. Do you see whenever you say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it anyway? Do you see whenever you come through? I'll be, I've got this gammy leg, but I'll tell you, I'll be jumping out of here today. Do you know why? Because I've known that God has been faithful. And you know what? If you want a life full of mundane and you just want to live, you know, on the plane, never do anything, never take any chances, never step out in faith, well, you know, that's all you'll have. You mightn't know the lows and you mightn't know the highs. You know what? When you really walk with Christ, you'll feel the lows because you'll feel his heart and you'll feel the hurt of other people and you'll be in step with God's heart. And yes, there might be sorrow, but you know what? <laughs> for that stuff and that, that's when the enemy comes against you for all of that, I'll tell you there's a high that the world can't give. There's a joy and a high in Christ that nothing or no one can give. And so I just challenge you today. And we've been praying for so many people this morning. And I have to say this because I forgot to say it last week. Hello, Elizabeth in New Zealand. Do you know what a lady called Elizabeth is watching us from New Zealand? Livestream. Do you know that? She was watching us last week and I forgot to say hi to her, but I'm saying it now. And we're just praying for you, Elizabeth, wherever you are. And Maria is watching in Dublin and in Limerick as well. There are people who are joined here today that you don't even know are here. Do you know what? There's a host in heaven. And they're watching on. And they're saying, go girls, go. Why do we get so depressed? We're here, we're meant to build each other up. We're meant to speak encouragement. We're meant to say, go on, girl, you can do that. And you know what God is saying to all of you today? Just know that I love you. Love me back and put your trust in me. Just praying and waiting on God this morning, I got a text through with a picture of an anchor on a rock. And as I sang these, these words just now, it reminded me that my anchor holds within the veil. So does yours. We're connected into heaven this morning heaven itself. Our anchor goes right into heaven itself behind the veil. Let's sing these words. He's the cornerstone and we're connected to him. Lord, we thank you for being with us. We thank you, Father, for your presence here today. We thank you for your word, that your word is so powerful. We thank you it doesn't come back empty. We thank you, Lord, that you accomplish what you want to do through your word. And we pray that we'll find a resting place in hearts this morning that will bring forth fruit, that will change lives. God, we pray that your living word will do a work today in all of our hearts, Lord. And we pray, O oh God, that for those who are in a storm right now, that they will know and, and believe and know and understand and by faith accept that you will bring them through the storm. We want to praise you that you're the God who takes us through the storm. You're the God who speaks to the storm and says, peace, be still. 
So God, we pray for miracles to happen in lives today. We believe your word is able with the miraculous power that's inside your word, that Lord, your word is alive and living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask you to do miracles in lives today through your word, and we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. And